0: Welcome back to another Cardinals off day podcast Ben and I are very excited to be joining you on a very unusual Wednesday off day uh, but it is an off day and so here we are Ben how are you doing
1: uh, I am doing very well uh, we're finally getting some lovely spring weather here in the upper Midwest and it feels a little bit like baseball season outside
0: agreed agreed and I uh, so Ben, uh, we've had a baseball season going on for about a month and a half now, and um, it's been a little while since we recorded one of these. So since our last episode, uh, what, uh, what have you learned?
1: Um, I, I have learned that, and we talked a little bit about this last episode, so maybe I haven't so much learned it as uh, my, my mind has accepted something in its heart that my brain recognized intellectually, <laughs> which, you know, sometimes there's that gap between like, I know this to be true, but my
0: gut still has this reaction. Um, but, oh, but yeah. what I have learned I is it, that every, every relationship I had in college, my mind and my gut processed at completely different times. So I, I understand. <laughs> <I, yeah. laughs> um, and, and so
1: for me, we, we have talked about this and, uh, in particular last episode and the one before with, uh, you know, forget it, Jake, it's April. But uh, batting in Major League Baseball this year is not good. And the Cardinals, as far as offense goes, and there have been changes, but we've also had some players bounce back as well, uh, and we're on the uptick. And so uh, the thing that I have really learned is that the Cardinals are an average. At least an average offensive team, and probably an above average offensive team this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it's, uh, I, I have likewise been kind of impressed, but you're right. It is a little uh, unusual <laughs> to process because it doesn't, it doesn't feel good what you're watching, but uh, the, the numbers and, and the league uh, average certainly says otherwise. Um, you know, I think in the, really just the last week, Ben, I have learned that this team knows how to put on a show. Uh, you think back to last Sunday's game, the Sunday night <laughs> baseball game. I mean, I tell you what, that was like when, you know, the WWE uh, has a pay-per-view, right? They they really blew it out. You had Bader on the mic. You had Pools coming in to pitch. You had Yachty hitting a home run. And then, of course, we got Yachty pitching in the game last night. Um, you know, uh, it's really just they seem to be having a lot of fun and they seem to be kind of embracing their role as entertainers uh, to a degree that I really enjoy and um, you know I mean baseball's entertainment I'm there to, to be entertained and have fun and sometimes the culture of baseball and the culture of the Cardinals has not always embraced that and I don't know if it's Marmol I don't know if it's uh, Yachty and Pujols and wayno and some of the kind of more senior personalities dictating it, but this is a team that's, that's having fun and putting on a show and uh, I am very much enjoying that.
1: Oh yeah. They, they definitely uh, have put on a show when the national lights were shining on them the last two Sundays, uh, once in the evening hours and then for brunch Uh this last Sunday. And so you're, you're absolutely right. They seem to enjoy
0: when the spotlight is on them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Well, before we get into our main topics, um, we have a couple kind of advertisements up, up front and Ben, do you want to hit that our first advertisement tonight?
1: Yes, uh, everyone, we have a new sponsor for Cardinals Off Day. And, and as you know, we have the highest standards for the sponsors that we choose. Uh, we are very excited about this new sponsor because, because we feel like it, uh, there's, there's some synergy here between the podcast audience and the audience for Cardinals Baseball. So without further ado, uh, this episode is of Cardinals Off Day is brought to you by Edmonds Wireless. And their new unlimited text plan look we all know there are a lot of cell phone providers out there with gotcha service plans we've all opened our bill to find hundreds of dollars in unexpected charges for going over our minutes or texts that's not what's going to happen with Edmonds wireless and their truly unlimited text plan you cannot imagine how many texts you can receive with this plan even if, even if you're out to dinner or at work your phone will just keep lighting up with text after text after text, and you'll never have to pay extra. Even better, Edmunds Wireless now offers an exclusive text-to-speech app, which will read over single text you every single text you receive out loud to anyone within earshot the moment you receive it. Get unlimited text and share those texts with anyone around you, whether they have any interest in those texts or not. Only with
0: Edmonds Wireless.
1: That
0: sounds like a pretty good program, actually. I, I uh, um, you know, I'm good to be kind of an old guy myself, so I just, you know, I like to have my phone going off and you know my directions, you know, blaring. So I, I might have to check this plan out.
1: Yeah, and I really like the uh, you know text to speech function where you know, it allows you to share your text messages with everyone in the room with you or who might be listening as a captive audience, whether they want to hear them or not. It's perfect.
0: Right. Yeah. Cause they're probably interested. Um, <laughs> so, um, all right. And the other, uh, the other thing I want to mention up top here, you may have seen, if you follow us on social media, we are selling t-shirts. We are celebrating Gormania. And of course Gormania has finally reached The major leagues Um, so uh, you can order those uh, gourmania t-shirts if you follow go go to a bit.ly slash gourmania Uh, but we'll put that link in the description and on on uh, cardinals off day on twitter as well Uh, but we encourage you to order one of those shirts they're available in a variety of styles variety of colors and all the proceeds that come from that go to the nonprofit more than baseball that helps out minor leaguers. So it's something that we thought was was fun to do, uh, but it's not something that we're profiting off of. We're, um, you know, anything that comes in for that, we're helping to raise some money there as well. So uh, yeah, check those out as well. Um, ben, anything else or should we dive into our main topics?
1: Uh, I just got a text message. Uh, it's, from my my good friend Ryan and it says uh quote Reyes sure had a bleep career of injuries didn't he end quote uh so I just wanted to put that out there and uh for those of us listening who may not have heard a uh, word out of the St. Louis Cardinals is that Alex Reyes uh, the closer last year the former top prospect uh, is going is very likely going to have to undergo another shoulder surgery. And so uh, I just wanted to share with everyone, I just got that text message under the Edmonds Unlimited Text Plan. That's Edmonds Unlimited Text Plan. Uh, you can get a discount at uh, using
0: the Cardinals Off Day code, Cardinals Off Day 25. All right. Well, and as long as you're getting texts on the show, I feel like I should uh, talk about my son's a little league game or practice that I just picked him up from earlier tonight (laughs) as well. But uh, uh, instead, I'm going to push us ahead uh, to our our first topic of the night. Um, You know, at one point ben when we were talking about this show we we were going to talk about uh nolan gorman coming up and then it was going to be it's nolan gorman and, and matthew liberator coming up and now of course avon herrera is up as well though likely just kind of short term so uh at this point early in this season we already have gorman liberator donovan Yepes, and herrera have already joined the major league team so we've got a real uh, youth movement underway uh w- what are your thoughts, Ben? Uh, I, I think it's
1: really interesting because, you know, you would sit in the preseason or in the off season, and, you know, you have your estimated time of arrival for prospects. And then, you know, I, I don't think any of these are a surprise that it happened this year. I think maybe the surprise is that they happened as early as they did. And, and, and within what has happened is we've had within
0: about two weeks of each other as well.
1: Yeah. And also all bunched together. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, And so for me, it's, it's interesting because circumstances have forced the team's hand to an extent uh, with some of these promotions, you know, they're due to injuries. They're due to COVID they're due to uh, an unfortunate and, and sad set of circumstances in the case of Yadier Molina, uh, with a with a medical emergency in the family that you cannot help but wonder uh, if it is related to the circumstances that caused him to report late to spring
0: training oh, they and, actually they did you know obviously oh the, i don't know if something they did say apparently his son injured his arm and his he's, his son's having surgery now. oh okay so it does sound like it's it's actually oh, okay so not so that, that is... good but it's you know it sounds like just uh yeah go home to be there while the son has... he injured it playing baseball apparently so yeah
1: which is not uh, good news by any stretch of the imagination. No, but when, but, but when is is you hear bere- bereavement, when you list, hear your bereavement, is
0: yikes. Yeah, yeah. When you hear bereavement <laughs> list, like it's probably on the the good end of the spectrum for what you would imagine.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, still bad. But for bereavement list, uh, not not by the worst by any stretch of the imagination. So that's good. But at any rate, circumstances have have dictated these promotions. And uh, Liberator's first start was really caused by a rainout, and then the doubleheader, and they needed a starter, and they promoted him because he's pitched pretty well in Memphis this young season. And now, uh, I believe you predicted it, Ben, by saying uh, in that uh, traditional baseball sense, these, these pitching depth things have a way of working themselves <laughs> out. And uh, it w- the, the monkey's paw finger curled. Yes, it did. <laughs> and, uh, and when you were a guest with uh, Daniel uh, on the meet me at Mutual podcast, and then uh, Stephen Matz lasted all of four pitches and the Cardinals had to turn around and re-promote Matthew Libertor Uh, to take Matz's place in the rotation. Uh, That's the most recent example. And I think you could even include Lars Newtbar, who they demoted to get playing time. And then uh, Dylan Carlson, who was white hot, white hot. You know, over the last week, uh, his on-base percentage was up uh, a little under 500. His batting average was a a little under 400. Uh, He was as hot. Uh, over the last week as he was cold to start the season and it felt like he was just really starting to click and then he he had the injury to his hamstring and you can add Lars bar to that mix as well and it's it's been really interesting because I feel like circumstances have forced the Cardinals hand to make these moves a little bit sooner than I think they would have liked to if everything had gone according to the front office's plan this season I mean what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it is interesting that they've, yeah, they, they, they've... Uh, and I, I agree with everything you said. I think I expected that most, if not all, of these guys would make an appearance at some point this year. Didn't expect to see them so soon. Didn't expect to see them in such a short period of time. For me, uh, I certainly harken back to the 2011 Memphis Mafia group. Um, it reminds me a lot of that. Uh, but what's interesting, as I, as I really think on that... Is this group really looks like a much better crop of players? And that's to take nothing away from the Memphis Mafia, who were amazing. were part of a World Series team. But you you look at those guys, you know, Friese, Jay, Descalso, Craig. None of those guys were MLB pipeline uh, guys, like top fifty, top one hundred guys. Uh, and I actually went back and double checked because <laughs> I thought uh, I can't. My memory may not be good enough. But those those, <laughs> you know, they were not. Um, they were not like top fifty uh, you know, guys, uh, on the other hand, many of these guys coming up, you know, uh, Gorman, Liberatore, Herrera certainly are, um, you know, Donovan and Yepez, you know, generally not like top 100 in MLB guys, but certainly, you know, guys high on the Cardinals list. So, uh, I think it's similar to that in that you've got this crop of young players coming up, but, you know, these are guys who, um, Several of these guys, you know, could could really potentially be cornerstone players for the St. Louis Cardinals uh, for several years to come, and and that's pretty exciting. And I think it really makes this a special year when you think about the fact that, of course, we're also saying goodbye to Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina and and possibly even Adam Wainwright. Um, I mean, that's just really going to be a, a significant year, I think, in Cardinals history and in, in our remembrance of watching the Cardinals. If And we know, of course, those players' careers are ending. But if these young players have the kind of careers that we, we anticipate they might, uh, it's a real kind of special passing of the torch moment. Yeah. And the other thing that's really
1: interesting to me is the Cardinals under Mike Schilt have largely been you know, they were a pretty inflexible team in terms of roster usage. You had guys who had dedicated roles, and that's what they did. And it feels like, with the influx of these players, Brandon uh, or Brendan Donovan is very flexible in terms of his versatility in the field. But also, in order to get Yapez's bat in the lineup, they're being flexible. And then to get Gorman's bat in the lineup, they're having to be flexible elsewhere. And so it feels almost like they're being pushed in the direction of a team like the Dodgers in terms of positional flexibility, uh, almost out of necessity as a way to get these bats in the lineup. And uh, that makes things a little bit more interesting from a fan perspective day in and day out, because you don't know who's going to play where. And who's going to bat where? And it's it's pretty fun,
0: to be honest with you. Absolutely. And and that's and that Dodgers example is something that I know you and I have uh, encouraged or wished that the team would do for some time. And just thinking about the way the Dodgers uses players like uh, like Muncy and like Kike Hernandez when he was there and like Chris Taylor and, uh, you know, and that. I mean, half the players, half the Dodgers regular players, you know, don't have a kind of everyday position, you know, that they play position X every day. They move around, there's fluidity, um, they play matchups, et cetera. And this team is built for that. And, and I think it's noteworthy that uh, the Cardinals are doing this with Marmol in charge, because I really don't think that Mike Schilt had the the flexibility to do this, um, you know, Schilt And again, I feel like we always have to asterisk it, It was certainly an upgrade over Matheny in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think Schultz was a terrible manager by any means, but I think one flaw we saw was he really did kind of fall into that habit, similar to Matheny, of having his guys liking to have guys in roles. And this is a team, the way it's it's built now with all this young talent, as well as just at this particular moment where you've also got, you know, injuries and things like that. You've got some holes you need to fill. This is a team that's built for flexibility. And it's exciting to think that they might be able to capitalize on that and, you know, use that flexibility as a, as a strength.
1: Yeah, and and to an extent, Ben, it feels like, the flexibility is being brought about because they don't have players with that certain amount of service time that seems to trigger respect units that yeah. demand, yep. you know, you play only these positions. And it's been, I have to say, uh, really bizarre to hear the media talk about Tommy Edmund, uh in a way that that really plays down his flexibility. If if you know what I'm saying, like they're talking about him and he's a very good defensive uh, second baseman. And I don't mean to uh, minimize overly minimize that, but he's also a good defensive player elsewhere on the diamond. Mm -hmm. And so the question then becomes, and it's not framed this way. It is. It takes Edmund's defensive value as absolute and, as the priority, but it doesn't take into account the choice. And the choice is is the team better off with Nolan Gorman at second base and Tommy Edman at shortstop, or is it better off with Tommy Edman at second base and Paul DeYoung or Edmundo Sosa at shortstop? And to me it seems very clear that the St. Louis Cardinals, as an organization, think that the major league team this year is better with Nolan Gorman at second base right now, and Tommy Edman at shortstop. That's why Nolan Gorman, when he was promoted, bumped Tommy Edman from second base. He took yeah. Tommy Edmond's job, and they moved Tommy Edman over to shortstop uh, because he is still a skilled defensive player. Um, and so I'm very interested to see how his arm in particular, uh, I was texting with Joe Schwartz, who used to write with us at Viva Albertos and also at the athletic about this. Um, and, and he is not sold on his arm and, uh, I'm taking a wait and see approach. I, I want to see him make some plays to his left, um, and see what that arm looks like. But, uh, it seems that, that the team uh, has assessed their talent in a way, hitting and fielding combined, that this uh, up-the-middle combination at shortstop and second base is their best chance to win at this point in time.
0: Yeah, and and uh, I'm interested to see as well. And, and, and honestly, I think this could enhance Tommy Edmonds' value, frankly, because if he can play plus defense at shortstop – that's so much more valuable than plus defense at second base. And, uh, also, uh, his hitting profile, which is, which is not good. It's not terrible, but it's not good. Um, is more palatable if you're getting shortstop defense out of it. Um, you know, just for folks to remember the last two full seasons, each season, Tommy Edman was a 91 WRC plus hitter. So 9% below league average for, you know, for the year. So, um, you know, but again, if he's if he's playing shortstop, if he can play plus defense at shortstop, uh, you know, uh, and even just kind of good defense at shortstop um, that, you know, that, that becomes a more interesting player, I think, and a more, you know, a more useful player. And Ben, I also just want to point out that we uh, we had a, a an ad read for Edmonds Wireless and their unlimited text plan. And you have now referenced two texts that you've received so far this episode. So I just wanted to I just wanted to call that out. <laughs> So, well, hey, we have to keep the sponsors. That's happy. true. That's true. Well, and Ben, you kind of um, you were kind of leading into, I think, the other kind of point we wanted to talk about here, which which is, uh, you know, we've we've been talking since last season, and I really feel like it was about midway through last season that the the Cardinals leaned fully into this defense first mentality. Uh, to me, anyway, if if I'm writing the narrative, and you tell me if you disagree on the the the, the timing of this. But to me, it was, you know, kind of midway through last season. I don't know, maybe June when they were the team was floundering and they started bringing in all of the busted left handed sinker ballers that (laughs) they basically acknowledge the way we can win is, you know, I think they looked at their team and they said, you know what we have here. Our greatest strength is our defense. Our pitching is kind of weak right now. Um, we The last thing we want to do is spend a lot of Bill DeWitt's money by going out and getting expensive pitchers who strike guys out, but we might be able to be successful by getting ground ball pitchers who can take advantage of that defense. And and they were successful with that for the rest of this that season. And coming into this season, that's exactly how the team seemed to be built as well. And I know we've talked about that kind of through the preseason and early this season, just about how much this team seems to prioritize uh, you know, defense and even wondering if a player like a Juan Yepez would, would have a future in St. Louis, you know, a guy who just frankly doesn't even have a defensive home. Um, and, and honestly, you can't really imagine being a plus defender anywhere. Um, now uh, we've got this, uh, we've got Yepez, we've got Donovan, who is who is extremely versatile, but, you know, often kind of wedged in positions where I don't know that he's a plus defender There, Um, you know, Gorman who, uh, you know, reports have been, you know, mixed, uh, you know, some favorable, but I mean, this is a third baseman that they're, you know, making play second base. Um, But all of these guys are, are major offensive upgrades. Do you think we're seeing them maybe rethink that philosophy? And then if so, the next question for me is, what does that mean about how this pitching staff is built and how they might adjust this staff on the fly for the rest of this season?
1: It's tough to say. I think everything they did in the preseason this year uh, indicated that they were doubling down on the defense first model um you know they and also to make bill DeWitt money they they signed Pujols to dh they signed dickerson to dh and in doing that and they basically created a an opening day roster that didn't have a spot for any of these players right Mm -hmm. and they sent them back down to AAA to get some more time. And now circumstances over the over the early part of the season, injuries, uh, lack of production from DeYoung, have forced them uh, to have a little bit more of an open mind. And the other thing is they've come up and they have performed. Right. And uh, they have performed very well early. And if you hit the way that they have hit, And they aren't even just like hitting well. They're hitting extremely well early. And they have, you know, it's sort of that whole, you know, get your foot in the door and then kick it in. Well, they got their foot in the door and they came in doing, uh, you know, sweet chin music kicks like the Heartbreak Kid, right? (laughs) It is uh, really impressive what these young players have done. Uh, since they've gotten their call and is it sustainable? So is
0: is Tyler O'Neill Marty Jannetty in this analogy, Ben? (laughs) (laughs) Man, I don't know. I, you know, he,
1: he is someone, you know, and and we have a question about this later and I won't get too far into it. Uh, But, but he could be until you watch Juan Lopez play left field and you (laughs) recognize he's nowhere near as athletic as Sean Michaels. Um, But, uh, what they're doing right now is they're really, in a way, they're forcing Marmol's hand because if you're hitting like yeah. that, and you talked about 2011, it reminds each one of them reminds me a heck of a lot of Alan Craig yeah. <laughs> in 2011, where Tony LaRusso was like, "Yeah, second base, center field, Alan, you're going to play because you're reiki, yeah. You know, you you are hitting really well, and so you know that's really where we are, and it's a good position to be in, where you have these young guys who are really hitting well. The league is going to adjust, you know, their their luck on balls in play is probably going to go down a little bit, um, and there's going to be a lull, and then we'll see how they uh, how they can, uh, you know, adjust themselves to how the league has adjusted to them, and it'll be interesting to see if it can continue because I think it's going to be round about the time. Uh, that some of their playing time may be in jeopardy by guys getting uh, healthy and rejoining the major league roster, guys like Tyler O'Neill.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, um, You know, and I mean, I, I framed this as a question, and it wasn't one of those, like, I'm going to frame this as a question and then I'm going to follow it up with my here's what I think. Like, you know, this is really just an open question for me, and I'm, I'm interested to see how it shakes out because um, they're definitely uh, – it's it's definitely presenting an opportunity for them, but it's an opportunity that goes against kind of the philosophy that they've been leaning into of late. Um, and so, like, one thing I'm interested to see is, you know, do they, uh, you know, d- does the, the pitcher on the mound sometimes dictate this? Um, you know, uh, Wainwright, for example, gives up a lot more fly balls than some of these other pitchers do. So, you know, when Wainwright's on the mound, do you get the the, the A-plus outfield defense in there? You know, versus when you get one of the more kind of, uh, you know, worm killer ground ball pitchers, is that when you try to, uh, you know, get away with Yepez and right field, etc.? Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I'm interested to see um, Donovan uh, has been getting a run here in right field with Dylan Carlson out. Um, And I think that totally makes sense uh, given how Donovan's, I mean, Donovan's hitting at a level right now that it's like, you just have to find a place to get him in there. And Donovan just seems like incredibly competent and capable wherever you put him. But I mean uh, you know, he also seems very clear that he just doesn't have a lot of experience at the outfield. So um, yeah, it's going to be interesting, interesting to see. Um, And Ben, we do have a number of uh, questions But before we get into that, we actually have essentially we have a listener question that 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 you sent to us. Um, And that question was. In the situation, so cast our mind forward, it's game seven of the World Series. The Cardinals have run out of pitchers. Who do they put in Pujols or Yachty? Um, Ben, you're you're in the dugout. You're managing. Which which one would you go with? Well, I just got a
1: text message. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I didn't just get a text message. Um, I, we, we have talked about this before we began recording, and I'm going to steal your answer, but the reason that I'm going to steal it is uh, the the reporting with the post-game quotes from Yachty and Pujols uh, make me uh, swing even more toward I'm going to throw Yadier Molina. Yeah. And the reason I'm going to do it, he works really fast. He's throwing a breaking ball, but in his post-game interview, Ben, did you see that he said, uh, it was too wet for me to throw my split finger. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't, but I love it. <laughs> now, now. I don't know if he was joking, uh, you know, cause I, I was not there. Uh, but, I want Yachty to pitch again on a on a warm dry day to see if he breaks out a split finger oh, fastball yeah. as a position player pitching in the ninth inning. Um and, and his curveball was pretty good. I, I I would go with Yachty. He also said his control was off because of the wet conditions. So um you know, and, and I also have to think if it's game seven of the World Series, uh, I think he's gonna he's going to amp it up a little bit with that fastball. And we're going to see something closer to approaching, uh, the miles per hour. You throws to second, uh, if the world series is on the line. So I'm going to go with
0: Yadi. Well, that's no, and that, that's a good point too. I mean, Yadi's definitely got the the velocity there and Pujols has been playing with a, a frayed, uh, UCL for since what, like 2002. So, um, I don't think he's going to amp it up. I love that when these guys get up there to pitch, they do have these like other pitches that they can throw, and it just makes me think like Ben, when you were in like high school and stuff, if you were like warming up before the game, didn't you didn't you throw like maybe like, you know, 10 or 12 throws to warm your arm up and then immediately start like screwing around and trying to throw a knuckleball and stuff until the coach walked by. Oh, and sure, then, and then you th- you know, kind of got serious again. And then as soon as they were gone, you you started working on your split finger. So I mean, I know, I know I did that. So I'm just, I'm glad that, you know, major leaguers likewise, you know, screw around with all these different pitches. And then when these position players get thrown out there on the mound, they, they break them, they break them out. So um, yeah, I'd have to go Yachty as well. I thought Yachty, um, Yachty had some pretty good break on his pitch uh, he was throwing too. So he, he definitely had some better stuff. Um, you you feel like some of his uh, n- just knowledge of of what to throw uh, as a catcher uh, you know is going to kind of play in there as well. Um, did did anyone ask? Was he calling his own pitches or was uh, Kisner calling his pitches? Did anyone inquire? I, I haven't seen anything on that, <laughs> um, but I I would think that.
1: That would be the worst position to be in if your are there, yeah, right? One hundred percent. You know, he's not going to be doing the crash yeah, Davis. This, don't
0: shake me off, guy, me, yeah. You know, this thing. This guy's up given here, up two home runs this um, inning, and he's shaking me off. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I think the that- other. And he did give up two home runs yes, this inning. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like, I think the other thing, it,
1: it's, it's, I wild. think the
0: other thing that we have to recognize in our hypothetical scenario here, where it's game seven of the World Series, it's important to, to recognize that Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina are both lunatics. And that's why they are, they are <laughs> Hall of Fame players. And so, like, they went out there in these blowout games and they were having fun. And we're joking about it right now. But if it really came to it, I guarantee you each of these guys would bear down and be so much better than we can even fathom they would be. And Ben, this reminds me of in the last week or two, you and I shared some uh, with some friends of ours an article about uh, Larry Bird playing baseball at Indiana State. And apparently his uh, senior season at Indiana State, Larry Bird is a basketball player there, the baseball coach kind of made some snide comments about, well, Larry, Larry couldn't play baseball or something like that. And so Larry joined the team for like the last game of the season. And it was basically like a publicity stunt, ha 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 kind of thing. Only Larry Bird showed up and went like balls out and actually like played a pretty good game because Larry Bird, like Yadier Molina, like Albert Pujols, you know, is a maniac. So you you never want to underestimate these people with the like Jordan brain, you know, when, when their backs against the wall.
1: Yeah, they're what they're doing when they're ahead by double digits in May is not the way they're gonna they would ever throw in October, and that, and that's a good point. Um, they're they're lunatics, and that's why they're so good. I don't we don't mean it in a bad way, um, and uh, and I think that both of them. You know,
0: they both might rupture their UCL going so hard
1: <laughs> to to try to win. And that.
0: And, and so, of course, but, this is extremely unlikely. I think they they still they still use the runner on second, right? I think if it goes thirteen innings, it actually goes to penalty kicks now, right? I'm not sure. I didn't read the new CBA. I don't know all the new rules, but um, we probably won't see this in Game Seven of the World Series. <laughs> no,
1: no, we we probably won't, but. Uh, it would be very fun if we did. And I've seen some people, uh, you see sort of this development of kind of a, a backlash to position players pitching. And for the life of me, I, I don't understand this. You know, I've coached traveling teams and little league teams. And this type of silliness is so much fun when you're a part of that team. And it's really fun to see it when you follow teams and you see the players having a lot of fun with a circumstance like this, it makes a a blowout win or frankly, probably even a blowout loss, a lot more fun to watch if you get to see something weird like this. And, and I, I think I saw that the last time a team did something similar to what the Cardinals have done, uh, it involved Ty Cobb and the Detroit Tigers so this is really even getting back to tradition in a way,
0: right?
1: <laughs> like where you couldn't you couldn't call guys up and have them ride the Memphis shuttle because transportation was really quick and efficient. You had to make do with what you had because it was a long season and you had to grind it out. And so, you know, in the early 1900s, position players pitching in blowouts was or maybe even in games closer than a blowout uh, was a little more common than it is today and so uh this is a lot of fun and i really enjoyed it and each of the last two sundays have just been an absolute blast in terms of pitchers absolutely or excuse me
0: who we have pitching position players pitching I, i apologize yeah absolutely well let's um so let's move on with some more of our uh Uh, questions from actual listeners and the, and, and again, thank you to everyone who who sends in questions. Uh, We appreciate the interactions. You can, you can actually send us a question anytime at Cardinals off day. Uh, on Twitter or email us at cardinalsoffday at substack.com. We usually put a call out kind of close to when we record, but feel free to send them at any time. First one we have is from uh, Sachin Parikh, and I apologize if I mispronounce that, at uh, Sparik11 on Twitter. And they ask, What are the chances that last year was an outlier for Tyler O'Neill? Keith Law has mentioned on a preseason chat that he was expecting regression. Ben, what are your thoughts?
1: Um, I think it is important that we all keep in mind a lot of times we throw around regression in a way uh, that means things moving down. And in this circumstance, that's exactly what Keith Law was referencing. And I think we were pretty honest about Tyler O'Neill last year, Ben, where I think you and I both were like his profile is so weird. I don't know what to think about it. I don't know how sustainable this is. And, but that being said, if you'd have told me that Tyler O'Neill's stats, both his uh, traditional batting stats, and then also his baseball savant data uh, would look like this. I, I would not have predicted. This is what his, Uh, slump or regression would look like. And so uh, I think, number one, it was entirely appropriate to expect Tyler O'Neal to not be as good this year as he was last year. To expect him to be this bad and to be bad in this way, I I mean, in particular, he's not making great contact at all. Um, So it's not even just whiffing, it's he's not hitting the ball hard the way that he used to. And that's where I'm really surprised is the contact when he makes it isn't good. And it's frankly pretty concerning, but it's also so weird compared to last year that I don't entirely
0: know what to make of it. I don't either. Um, And uh, it's, you put it well, it's, it's weird. It's not one thing that he's suddenly struggling with or uh, like this obvious hole that's kind of emerged. It's kind of a variety of things. And um sometimes uh and i've certainly with o'neill heard people talk about approach or kind of you know mental mentally what's going on and 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 those are definitely things that can be issues for players i'm always a little hesitant to like jump to those kind of things because it's like well i don't really know what's going on in you know in this guy's head or whatever but um you know hopefully uh the the uh kind of a mental health IL that he's on, which is frankly what I think it is, um, can help, you know, maybe help reset some things, get some things ironed out. Um, Tyler O'Neill's 27. Um, so he's still young, but he's not super young. Um, you know, I I would hope that we can still see a few more very good Tyler O'Neill seasons, um, you know, but again, you know, he's not Nolan Gorman who's 22. He's not Dylan Carlson who's 23. I, I wouldn't really expect him to uh Get much better than we saw last year, but it'd be great if we saw him um, approach something like what he was last year. Um, All right. Um, Neil um, at uh, I Love My Amaro, um, and he's at Twitter, uh, Twitter Twitterless Neil asks, I know it's been two weeks but I'm still confused on why the Cardinals called up Robertson and burned the 40 man spot when Sosa was ready to come off the IL the next day. seems like that roster spot would be more useful now with Gorman and Libertor being added. Yeah, it, it probably
1: would be, but I think the thing that we need to keep in mind is that when players are doing rehab stints, um, the team consults with the player. It's, it's generally a consensus driven thing where they try to get the player, the time that he needs to get up to speed so he can come to the majors and play. And so I think that what happened here is they just, they needed a backup infielder and Sosa wasn't quite ready. And so uh, they, they made the move that they made to fill that need for that night and i agree uh it's not the best thing to do necessarily um but uh you know when you look back last year it 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 immediately reminded me of scott hurst being called up to be yep. the bench outfielder yep. last year um where it was like you know what are we doing here but then they just immediately uh demoted robertson and it was pretty clear that This was a move uh, for that night and what the team needed that night because you aren't always able to make the long-term move uh, based on immediate need. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is what drove the Gorman promotion was an injury to Tyler O'Neill, which they didn't know they had when they promoted Robertson. And what drove the Liberator promotion was a rainout which they didn't know they would have. And now an injury to Mats. And so uh, it's one of those things where you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but they needed a middle infielder tonight. And if they would have known that they were going to be promoting Gorman anyway, they probably would have promoted him earlier yeah. uh, or Liberator, you know. And so I think it's just one of those things where circumstances dictated they needed an infielder. They didn't know what the future would hold. They promoted Robertson, immediately demoted him, and then circumstances dealt them a hand that required them to make
0: additional moves. Yeah, and the thing I would add to that too is I think the Cardinals really place value on giving guys an MLB debut, and especially guys that have put their time in and um, you know d- done the things they've asked them to do down there in the minors. And you know, Kramer Robertson is like 28. Um, and Scott Hurst is a great comp last year as well. And I think, frankly, I think it's a classy thing the Cardinals do, you know, giving those guys their their moment in the major leagues. Um, and those are guys that probably don't have a major league career ahead of them beyond that. But to have to, to be able to say that they got there is, is a really significant thing. And that's a meaningful thing. And it's, it's also something that those guys in the minor leagues know that the Cardinals do that and they appreciate that. Um, and then just lastly, I'd say, Um, you know, these 40 man roster machinations, I feel like a lot of times it just doesn't matter. Um, you know, when you get at the back end of the 40 man roster, the result of all of these kind of things being handled the way they were handled is they had to designate TJ Zuch for assignment. I mean, you know, like it's kind of who cares? Um, you know what I mean? Like, Um, I, that, that's like the kind of worst case thing that they ended up at. So, you know, it's not that big a deal and and you get some guys, some MLB debuts, so I'm okay with it. Um, wrist pumpkin, um, who's at ghost fraction one asks, could you rank these four from best to worst in outfield defense? Edmund Donovan, Yepes, and Dickerson.
1: Uh, well, Edmund is the best, um, just, from a speed perspective he's also uh played the outfield well in the past um and then i think Donovan is second best and between Yepes and Dickerson before the weekend series against the pirates i would have told you that Dickerson was better in the outfield uh than Yepes uh but after this weekend i don't know I mean, man they're they're both not good i, I
0: mean yeah, well, at the beginning of the season, I probably would have said Dickerson because I would have said he's been an outfielder for his career. I know he's a little bit older. He even won a Gold Glove, and obviously, asterisk. We know that doesn't mean everything, but I was like, oh, this guy's been a professional outfielder for many years. Like, you know, he's probably up there. But I mean, he just he just looks like garbage. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going on with him. So yeah, I mean, I think you've got uh, you, you've got you know, Edmund and Donovan are both really. Pretty talented um, utility guys, basically. Let's just call them what they are. They're, they're talented utility guys who are pretty athletic and can can play competently wherever you put them. Edmund is is faster and just you know of higher caliber um, defensively than Donovan. But but those two I'd kind of group together like that. You know, Yepes y- is a, a a hitter who you've put a glove on and he's standing out there. And, and Dickerson is just question mark. Dickerson's someone who used to be an outfielder and I don't know what's going on there. (laughs) So, um, they're definitely, uh, you know, yeah, that's, I think that's a situation you've got with those guys out in the outfield. So, um, uh, plizank at plizank asks, would you rather see in this boy, Ben, this is a, this question, I don't know if you saw this one before we started recording, uh, would you rather see Tommy Edmond become the permanent leadoff hitter or have Matheny return as manager? This is someone who I think has listened to the show and is just really trying to twist the knife in us.
1: Our, I, I would like you to reread the question using uh, your impression of Heath Ledger's voice as the <laughs> Joker from The Dark Knight. As an agent of games. Um, but... but yeah. <laughs> Um, I, we get a little, we get to see Matheny when they play the Royals. And every time I see the man's face, he's just so stupid and terrible at his job. And I'm so thankful that he is not the Cardinals manager. I like, I would choose Edmund as the leadoff hitter, um, over Matheny every day of the week. And twice, twice on Sunday, I just, uh, Matheny is so terrible. He wrote a book called The Matheny Manifesto. And in it, uh, if I remember correctly, it contains the sentence, the manager is right, even when he's wrong. <laughs> and, you know, I I think that tells you all you need to know about the man. Like he, he doesn't have the ability to be a good manager because he's a manager and therefore he thinks what he does is inherently correct. And I just, I am so happy that he is no longer in St. Louis. Um, I, I feel sorry for my friends who are Royals fans, but better them than us. Am I right? Cardinals fans.
0: Yeah. And, um, I would fact check you on that sentence, but I never read the Matheny manifesto because I believe too much in self care to do that to myself. Uh, yeah, it's got to be the, it's got to be Edmund. Um, you know, you and I have have kind of complained about Edmund staying locked into that role. I mentioned earlier. You know, I mean, this is a guy he's put up a, a ninety one. You know, WRC plus the last two full seasons. Uh, that's not the guy you want giving. You know, you want to give the most plate appearances on your team to. But that's really just like suboptimal lineup construction. Uh, Matheny, as the manager, he's touching every aspect of the club and when you have somebody who's, uh, as poor at that job as he was, I mean, by the end of his tenure, it was really at the point where I think it was the hardest for me to watch and enjoy Cardinals baseball of any point in my lifetime. Cause it was just so frustrating, um, you know, night in and night out. So, um, it, I mean, it's, <laughs> I remember where I was when I learned he'd been fired. <laughs> so.
1: <laughs> don't you it's mentioned yes. in all of our minds yes. so um,
0: yes and how ha- happy you it were. was yeah it was a joyful it was a joyful joyful moment so all right uh, uh no we have two questions off sorry uh jeremy baustian uh at jeremy baustian asks will geo ever be replaced as closer by helsley well probably i and
1: I, and I hate to be flipping about it, but with the way reliever performances uh, and you look at what Helsley's doing and despite Marmal talking about flexibility and roles, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's likely that Helsley will because, uh, Giovanni, you know, he's going to have a few bumps in the road and he'll probably get replaced. That's just the way these things work.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I just, um, it's not real important to me what order they pitch at the end there. So part of me says I don't care. But uh, the other thing though, I think is uh, so far this year, Helsley has not pitched on back-to-back days. And it seems like that's something they're doing for health reasons. So, um, you know, I think we'll certainly see Helsley pitch at the end of games sometimes, but I don't think we'll see him move into that role exclusively um, just you know, for health reasons, because they don't seem confident that he can do it all the time. But um, you know, as long as they're deploying their their best relievers at the highest leverage points, you know, near the end of games, and those are their two best relievers, and I think they're generally doing that. Uh, you know, I mean, if 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 it starts happening that Geo's coming in earlier than Helsley's coming in, um, either way works for me. I'm just glad they're both pitching well. So this last question. Ben, I am going to field this question because this is my wheelhouse right here. Uh, I was going to say, <laughs> Jason Hill uh, at JP Hill Cards uh, over at Viva Albertos asks uh, Cardinals. He's having a Cardinals cookout coming soon, and he wants to know what fun Cardinals themed vittles should he serve. And and Ben, I assume that Jason here is calling out to back in the day when when I wrote at Viva Albertos, I wrote a number of pieces. Uh, were uh, testing recipes from the Cooking with the Cardinals cookbooks. And for those who didn't, didn't happen to read those pieces, uh, in the 1980s, the Cardinals, and actually it wasn't the Cardinals, they were the authorship was credited to the St. Louis Cardinals Wives, make of that what you will, um, published these cookbooks. Um, I think it was a fundraiser for something. But they're really kind of great. You can find them on like eBay and stuff. So you have re- uh, just a number of, of recipes in them. Some of the recipes are credited to the uh, you know the spouse. Some of them are credited to the player themselves. So um, and the, uh, so it's it's interesting. It's an interesting window to these players as people, but also just to um, kind of the weirdness of, you know, cooking from like 20 years or geez, 30 plus years ago. Um, you know, it's a lot of stuff that, frankly, you, no one would make today. But, you know, times are different. They had different stuff at the grocery store, et cetera. So um, I did take a quick look back to try to find something for a cookout specifically. A lot of the stuff was not really cookout friendly. But I'm gonna, I'm going to suggest to Jason, it's one of the most simple recipes there. And Ben, you came over a couple of times when I made these recipes as well. So I believe you, you yes, I believe you yes, may have I had, did. Were you, did you have Bob Forch's poolside libation? Yes. So yes, Bob Force's poolside libation, this is extremely simple. This is not a fancy cocktail recipe. Uh, those of us that are cocktail snobs are going to turn our nose up at it. But here's what it is. It is one part coconut rum. All right. So just get yourself a bottle of Malibu. And then two to three parts pineapple juice. He kind of says, you know, feel it out. See how much you like there. Um, and then you, you put that over ice. So you could do that in a pitcher or you could you could make those individually. And then he suggests a, a quarter of lime uh, squeezed into each glass. So really basic, really straightforward. But Ben, it, it's delightful and refreshing, isn't it?
1: Yes, it. you can tell. Uh, it was recommended by someone who was having drinks by a pool in a Saint Louis. Oh, summer. absolutely, yeah.
0: And that—that's my only thing for Jason is I think he says this cookout's coming soon. Um, you know, yeah, you want the temperature, you you want to be pushing probably close to or into the 90s to really appreciate this drink. Yeah, 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 you want to be sweating a little bit. You want the, uh, uh, the, the medicated gold bond powder to be out. Um, that's the kind of heat you're looking for here. So anyway, uh, Bob Forch's poolside libation, RIP Bob Forch, but uh, his drink lives on. Um, ben, we have burned through our questions and our topics. Um, so uh, what are you going to be watching for?
1: uh the the thing that i'm going to be watching for is how the team uh plays platoons um because it feels like in a weird way the flexibility that the front office has been striving for with lineup construction may be a little bit more achievable uh with some of the injuries that they've had and their current uh 25 man roster so uh, I'm interested to see how Marmal leverages his platoon advantages uh, mo- while he has this little window here in late May into June with Gorman and Edmund uh, and Donovan and Yepez, um to see how he mixes and matches, and also Dickerson, because it seems like uh, with Dickerson that they're giving him opportunities and in a way, it feels almost like a situation where they're giving him an opportunity to succeed, but if he does not succeed, then they have a reason yeah. to cut him. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I, I'm going to be watching all of that to see how much they play – Uh, matchups and then what Dickerson can do with the uh, remaining opportunities they give him. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, I am going to be watching Tommy Edmonds defense. Um, I have been fascinated for a while now um, as to why he has not played shortstop in the major leagues. Uh, You know, back when he was, they were using him as more of a utility guy. He wasn't playing shortstop. And then, Frankly, uh, just, you know, even more recently here to to, for some versatility reasons or just when it became clear that something like this was going to happen, it just seems like they waited till the 11th hour of the 11th hour to finally move him over there. And, uh, you know, given that he played shortstop uh, in the minor leagues and and reports seem to have been that he did it well, uh, we know that he's a good second base defender you just kind of expected that he'd be able to handle it. Okay. But the way they kind of delayed it and everything just, you know, almost had me wondering like, gosh, is there something they know that we don't know? Is there something to be worried about here? So I'm just, I'm curious to see how he does, but I'm also curious because uh, you know, if he plays solid shortstop defense, I think Tommy Edmond is your St. Louis Cardinals shortstop, probably until Mason Wynn arrives more or less. Uh, I would like to see them, uh, you know, get Donovan in there, uh, against right-handed pitching occasionally, um, just as part of, you know, getting Donovan in there in general. But, you know, if Tommy Edmond can play plus sh- defensive shortstop, I think even with some of the limitations of his offensive profile, I think you're looking at your, your, you know, shortstop of the, of the present and, and into whenever, you know, presumably Mason win or, you know, that n- kind of long-term option comes in. So I'm going to be on the lookout for that, uh, here, um, especially since these are some of the first times we're ever really getting a chance to, to see that. So Ben, uh, as we wrap things up here, do you have an off-day recommendation? Um, I do.
1: Uh, and it, it's uh, one that I have tweeted out, but for our listeners who may not have seen the tweet, uh, the great sports writer uh, Roger Angel passed away this week. Um, And he wrote in the New Yorker a profile of Bob Gibson. It's called Distance. The Game Belongs to Bob Gibson. Uh, It's from 1980 uh, when Gibson's Hall of Fame eligibility and candidacy was getting ready to come before voters. And he went and spent time with Gibson in Omaha during his retirement. He interviewed uh, Joe Torrey, Tim McCarver. Uh, and some other former teammates and opponents. And it's just an exceptional profile of a professional athlete uh, and touches on, I think, the mentality uh, that it takes to be a a truly all-time great. Um, And then also what happens uh, when you're no longer an all-time great and you're no longer even a professional athlete at all. And it's just an exceptional profile Uh, And I encourage folks to give it a read, Uh, even if you don't have a New Yorker subscription, uh, you can still read it uh, online. You'll have the annoying banner asking you to subscribe now. it's actually a good deal for The New Yorker, the, the current Memorial Day sale. So uh, if that interests you, you can subscribe as well, but you don't have to. Uh, you can still read the profile online for free, and it's really good. And it's a testament both to Angel as a writer and Bob Gibson as a pitcher, and it's really good. I revisited it after Angel's death, and I encourage everyone uh, listening to give it a read for the first time. Or to revisit it if you if you read it a little while back because it's still well Ben
0: that was my first instinct to go with for a recommendation as well but I knew that you would choose that so I yeah. uh, I was prepared uh, <laughs> but I felt likewise we had to recommend something from Roger Angel uh, you know the greatest baseball writer ever and um, I, but I'm gonna go with more of a non-specific recommendation because I think one of the most amazing things about Roger Angel you know so many writers it's like you have to read this book or you have to read this article. And with Roger Angel, it's truly read anything um, because he just, there was just something about his his style and the way that he wrote that permeated everything that he, uh, you know, that he wrote. And um, so what I would encourage folks to do is, and this is honestly the way that I've consumed a lot of Angel over the years is just anytime if you're in a used bookshop or you're somewhere and you see a Roger Angel book there, just buy it, just pick it up. And you know, it's, it's going to be uh, delightful. Um, As I was thinking about Roger Angel um, and part of it, you know, Ben, as I thought, and and the Gibson is one piece that definitely stands out in my mind of course, you know, but I'm a huge Bob Gibson fan, but in a lot of ways I don't remember a lot of specific pieces as much as I remember, or you know what I'm, or I remember things, but I can't tell you like which piece it comes from. Do you, do you have that with him as well? Yes,
1: uh, definitely. I, the, the Gibson piece stands out, but it's because Gibson was so formative as a kid. I think the, I I think the Gibson piece is also like the first one that I, that I may have read of his because you know, family sent it to me. And so that one sticks out. But other than that, it's just, it's just really good. And if you come across anything, I
0: agree. Yeah. And, and like honestly, I to be honest, the comparison that I thought of, and <laughs> I'll grant you, this is a little problematic right now, but it, it reminds me a bit of Woody Allen in that, um, you know, I, I, I don't always remember what what, you know, bit or moment was in a specific Woody Allen movie, because his work kind of tended to feel like an ongoing conversation. And I feel like the same is true with Roger Angel. And one of the things I always appreciated so much about Roger Angel is he was always really writing uh, from the perspective of a fan. And um, you know, so much writing is uh, baseball writing is, uh, you know, really trying to get like inside baseball and trying to you know th- outthink the GM and all that kind of stuff, and and Angel just really um, approaches it from a fan's perspective, which I think is why he's so beloved because it and it feels so authentic to all of us because that's what we really are, and so it's it's just delightful. So I encourage people read anything from from Roger Angel. Um, ben, anything else before we uh, we we wrap things up?
1: Uh, no, I just uh, once again want to stress that that Angel is fantastic uh, and really encourage folks to to get some of his work in front of them, because I think he also articulates that some truths that, you know, in your heart that maybe you haven't thought about enough to recognize. And then, when you see it there on the page about baseball, it just really hits home uh, in in a profound way. and uh, and it's it's a shame that he is no longer with us, uh, but we can also celebrate and enjoy the wonderful work that he gave us Absolutely. while he was still alive. And his
0: stepfather was E.B. White, which I learned in his obituary and did not know. By the way, his, his uh, New Yorker obituary uh, is, of course, a, a amazing read as well. So, Anyway, with that, um, we are going to um, wrap things up for this Cardinals Off Day. Um, thank you as always for, for listening to us, um, for following the show. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at Cardinals Off Day as well. Um, thanks as always to Devon for the music, our friend Dan for helping us out on social media, and we'll see you all on the next Cardinals Hot Day. Go Cardinals!